everybody and welcome to a new episode of Evie's Korean Drama Podcast Show. My name is Evie, I'm your host, and I am a K-drama obsessive. So this is the show where I waffle on about all of the K-drama that I love. If you'd like to support the show, you can check out my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Evie Korean Drama Podcast. There you will find extra podcast episodes and updates on what I'm watching at the moment. Also, just before I get started, please be warned that I do swear a little bit on this show when I get excited. And when I'm talking about K-drama, I always get excited. Alright, so I thank you very, very much for listening and let's get on with the K-drama show. So the K-drama that I'm going to be chatting about with you all today is called It's Okay to Not Be Okay, also known as Psycho, but it's okay. Um, This show is a 2020 16 episode drama that, as I record this, has pretty much just finished airing this week. Um, It, I guess I would, you know, I guess it would be a romance drama is how it would be described but I really feel like this is such a unique show it feels so different and unique I I almost feel like it's in in its own little category or subcategory of its own and and the words that I keep coming back to every time I think about this show is like modern gothic fairy tale like this show is it just leans into this very dreamy aesthetic and it really does feel at times like a children's storybook um i think the way that it's edited the way that it looks the way that it plays with these fairy tale themes and it has this very kind of yeah gothic kind of aspect to it with this big mansion in the hills and like all this darkness and oh um it's like i guess it to me it reminds me of the way that old fairy tales were you know but like transplanted into this modern setting and it's something that um you know the main character played by the actress Soya Ji talks about a lot is these kind of hidden darkness morals and ideas behind fairy tales so many fairy tales now in you know modern audiences minds are these beautiful romantic happy things about true love and when all these original tales came out some of them like so many thousands of years ago these stories first emerged which just blows my mind um you know they were much darker they were frankly fucking horrible stories like you read them as a modern person and you're like what the fuck is this about like um for instance the original fairy tale of sleeping beauty which was called something like i think it was uh the moon and talia or something like that um it's super super old school and it's about you know this this young princessy girl who stabs her finger and then you know goes to sleep and basically this handsome prince turns up, rapes her, she gets pregnant with twins while asleep, and then, you know, wakes up and goes off and marries him or some shit. Like, it's fucked up, right? (laughs) Sorry, I told you a really horrible story. Um, I do apologize. Hmm, okay. (laughs) I don't know if you could just hear a lot of banging around in the background just then, but I had to quickly stop recording and run to my front door um, because there was a man here delivering a piece of furniture. (laughs) Um, So I would love to say to you guys that the reason that I bought an old antique, like, dresser... with a, you know, like a vanity dresser with a mirror was not because of this particular drama and watching this show. (laughs) That would be a fucking lie. So I have to tell you the truth. Um, You know, in this drama, there's so many scenes of Soya Ji's character, uh, Go Munyong, sitting at this vanity in her big gothic mansion. And it's this like, you know, old fashioned looking wooden kind of dresser with, you know, drawers and the big mirror. And it's just really gorgeous. Everything in the house is like gothic and gorgeous and old fashioned. And I really liked it. (laughs) 
I honestly, I'm so influenced by dramas, but I think it's very funny because I don't think I'm necessarily like influenced by all the product placement. Like I didn't go out and eat fried chicken after watching The King Eternal Monarch, but I did go out and buy a vanity dresser, (laughs) an old fashioned piece of furniture after watching It's Okay Not To Be Okay. Um, anyway, it's really beautiful and it's like really old school and old fashioned looking. And also it wasn't even expensive. It's just from like a secondhand kind of furniture market thing. And it's not expensive because no one wants them anymore because they're probably fairly stupid, but it's very, very pretty. And I'm going to sit in front of it and brush my hair and pretend to be so yedgy, <laughs> uh, but not really. Cause I'm definitely not <laughs> as pretty as she is. <laughs> Anyway, that's my really, I should have, I should have kept all that for my random thing of, of the week, but I didn't. I put it here right in the middle of the drama review. So I'm very sorry, guys. Um, I told you this would probably be a weird one, a haphazard one. Okay. So before, um, the furniture man interrupted me, (laughs) I was talking about it's okay not to be okay. And the very dark fairy tale themes. So I was talking about these very old stories and how fucking horrible they were. And I really feel that this drama, I really like the way it seems very influenced by that and by these very old creepy stories. You know, for instance, Soya G, you know, she's constantly painted as this, you know, I guess emotionless princess locked away in a, in a tower or in a mansion. And, you know, she's haunted, like literally haunted by this ghost. And, you know, it has such a fairy tale feel to it. But of course, re- really what we're talking about is just straight up trauma. She's had a traumatic childhood and an, an unbelievably traumatic upbringing. She's had no, she's had manipulation and twistedness all over her, all her life from her parents and no just true love and care. And I think that that's just such an interesting way to interpret trauma into this dark, haunting fairy tale feel. And I think it's just really, really clever. Um, And I, I think I just really like the whole fairy tale aesthetic that this show really, really leans into. I think it made it feel very unique and dreamy to me. Um, So I guess if I'm thinking of like why why I watched this show, I usually talk about why I picked the drama. (laughs) I picked it because obviously it sounded bloody interesting. Um, It just had a cool concept, I suppose. Even though one thing I find very interesting about this show is that if I'm trying to talk to anyone, you know, and be like, oh, you should watch this show, um, who'd say isn't a K-drama fan, or even if they are, frankly, and they're like, what is it about? How do you describe this show in like an elevator pitch? Like, it's impossible. I don't even know how to describe what this show is about other than it's a love story and it's a healing show, I suppose. I've got that now that I've watched to the end. Um, But I think it's kind of hard to describe if I'm honest. Um, I definitely watched it because of the leads, I would have to say. Um, Kim Soo Hyun, this is his army comeback project, uh, his first K-drama, I guess, um, in quite a while. And he, you know, he doesn't even have that many K-dramas under his belt, but each one is pretty much quite a big hit like he's had some very big hits um particularly is it moon embracing the sun which is a sagok um like a fantasy romance sagok from quite a few years ago now i feel like he's still an a-list actor in k-drama land off the back of that drama success like that's unbelievable all these years later um I have loved him for a long time (laughs) like 10 years he was my first like I don't want to say K-drama crush because that feels very, very embarrassing. (laughs) But I guess if you had to describe it, that might be the word that you would use. (laughs) Um, So my very first ever drama, which I've talked about on the podcast before, is Dream High. It was the first show that I ever watched from Korea. And it was literally the reason that I became hooked on dramas. And Kim Soo Hyun was you know, one of the main male leads in that drama because it has a little bit of an unusual framework in The Love Triangle. And he was, you know, he hooked me. I thought he was incredible. I loved him. Um, And he just hasn't been in that many dramas since then or that many that I've loved. Um, But I still love him. And I have to say that it was fantastic to watch him now, you know, 10 years later, being so amazing in this 
absolutely incredible show. Like it's such a strange sort of full circle for me, I suppose, to 10 years later, come back to him and an amazing drama again, which is where it all began for me. So I'm a big fan of Kim Soo-hyun, so I was excited about this show as soon as I heard he was in it, and particularly when he was cast with Soya Ji, who I just love. Um, Everyone who has listened to this show at all knows that I'm obsessive (laughs) with her um, 2017 drama called Save Me, um, in which I think her performance is just incredible. So ever since then, I've kept an eye on her because I think she is an amazing actress, and she's just... Like, I don't want to get petty, but like, she is beautiful. Like, not petty, that's not the right word. Shallow? (laughs) She's beautiful to look at. She's absolutely beautiful. And I would be completely lying if I didn't say that I enjoy K-dramas for the aesthetic as well. I love seeing, you know, beautiful men and women, women walking around on my screen, looking incredible. And particularly in this drama, So Yeji's character, Go Munyong, wears, you know, insane fashions and is very, very gorgeous to look at. Um, I have to say, aesthetically, this drama is very good on the eye. Like, the people look beautiful, but I think the scenery and just the general, the way everything looks in the show is really, really gorgeous. Um, so I did want to try and get through this a little bit quicker because I feel like I have so much to unpack about this drama and talk about because I really, really, I just enjoyed it so thoroughly. I think it's such a good show. Um, so I'm just going to do a really quick setup. So the basic plot, and then I'm going to get into the stuff that I loved. And there is a lot of stuff that I loved. And was there anything I didn't love? No, I don't think there actually was. Hmm. Okay, so I'm just going to try and do a very quick little overview. Um, so we have Kim Soo-hyun, the actor, and his character's name is Moon Kang-tae. So Kang-tae is a kind of like a psychiatric nurse. I guess that's what you'd say he was. Um, and he works at different psychiatric hospitals, but he basically only works there for one year always quits and then moves to a new city, a new part of town, a new hospital. He has no ties. He's generally very unhappy looking at all times, although he's also very sensitive, I would say, and in tune and careful around other people, towards other people. He's a very caring person, despite the fact that he has clearly locked himself away emotionally very, very tightly. So we find out that Kang Tae has an older brother who is 35 years old called Sang Tae and Sang Tae is autistic. Um, so Sang Tae basically lives with the permanent mindset of a kindergarten age child and he's played by the actor Oh Jung Se. So I thought that Oh Jung Se's performance as Sang Tae was I thought it was pretty incredible. I thought he did such a good job. But I guess in general, I thought the whole show did a really, really good job in its approach, I think, to a character with autism and also in its approach to mental health, which, you know, the show has a big focus on these ideas and these themes. And, you know, I guess, you know, I know there's a lot of sensitivity around these kind of areas because everyone wants to you know, I guess if you're doing something publicly, like making a show about it, everyone wants these things to be correct and right and sensitive and careful and not derogatory or anything like that at any point. And I think myself, and I imagine a lot of viewers were potentially a little bit nervous (laughs) about whether this show would do a good job or not. Um, And, you know, I have to admit, like, I have you know, friends with autism and I have a friend, um, but not like an extreme version of autism like Sangte has. Although I do have a friend whose daughter has like more of a similar sort of thing uh, where she has the permanent mind of a kindergarten age child, but she also has sensory overloads. Um, so she has to wear headphones and she can't, she doesn't really communicate through words. Um, so I, you know, I know a little bit about autism, but I have to admit, I'm probably not as educated around it as I should be. Um, So, you know, I'm not one to kind of say whether something is portrayed well or not, but as far as I could see and with my own understanding, like I thought the show was very, very good and very sensitive. And I really, really liked Sante as a character. I liked him so much. Um, I think one of the things that I liked 
a lot about him and the way the show portrayed him was yes he's very sweet he's so warm he's so likable you like him so much but I don't think the show was twee about it like you know overly I don't want to say naive or but you know he wasn't like a token character he was a character with depth he was a character with his own wants and wishes and traumas and I think also the show didn't shy away from the more difficult side of caring for someone with Sante's level of autism in that you know there are points where Sante gets very worked up and he does get violent and I really really liked that the show didn't kind of wash that stuff away and just yeah, like really lent into like, this is what it might be like. And these are the good sides and these are the bad sides. And this is just how it is. But I think the show does it with no judgment, which is something actually, I think that's the way the show really approaches all the mental health issues that it kind of touches on in its themes. And there isn't judgment against these characters who are going through these experiences, you know, all the way from Moonyoung, who, you know, I don't, think she ever gets like a proper diagnosis in the drama but I mean she's that there's something going on there and I think the show never treats her badly or derogatory because of the way that she is and that's the same with all the patients at the okay psychiatric hospital as well I think I think everyone's treated with a lot of care so I really appreciated that kind of thing um in this show I thought it was really good so anyway, um, back to the kind of general setup plot. So Soya Ji, who's the main female lead, um, her character is Go Moon Young. So Moon Young is an unbelievably incredible character. Um, I liked her so much. I really, really did. Um, and I found her really, really interesting as as a female lead in a romance series we have this woman who at the beginning of the drama I suppose part of the question is does she understand you know an emotion like love she has never experienced it I don't think that's because of the way she is but I think it's more because of her upbringing you know she has this block on what it is and you know, the general plot of the show is that Kang Tae works as a psychiatric nurse and Moon Young is this mad famous storybook writer and she writes these really dark, incredible stories. Like they're actually really good. I feel like, I mean, are these getting published? They should be. They're very good. <laughs> um, and she comes to do a reading at this hospital that Kang Tae is working in and they meet. And the second they meet, you know, she's smoking and he's kind of like, you can't do that here. Like, stop doing that. Um, and she just stares at him and she's like, you have such pretty eyes, which he does. My gosh, this man has such pretty eyes. Um, and then she's like, I want you. As in, he's an object that she wants. And I found this such a fascinating place to begin a romance with a man who has locked down his emotions so extremely that, you know, he's someone who I think feels a lot. He's an incredibly emotional person, but is refusing to allow himself to lean into any of it. So he's very, very defensive at you know, towards this woman who's just like, I want to own you, basically, like he's a shiny bauble. And I think it's so fascinating that for a romance, Moonyong really begins by wanting to own him as an object because she thinks he's pretty. I mean, that is what it is. And there's a scene after they get to know each other for a while and, you know, they he's kind of helps her out a few times and she is obsessed like she's following him around she's going to get this man on side like it's her mission in life at this point and as a way to try and make him stay with her because he's constantly rejecting her and walking off Moon Young screams out at him that she loves him like I love you I love you like why aren't you staying with me if I say I love you and I thought it was really interesting because I did not believe at this point in the story that she did love him I didn't think so but I think maybe she thought she did you know but she really I feel at this stage of the story has no true awareness of what love is of what it is to love and what it is to be loved and I thought it was such an interesting exploration of that change in her throughout the drama and I really liked the way the drama isn't saying that Moon Young shouldn't be the way that she is or Sung Tae as well like the drama 
is about healing from past trauma, but it's not about changing the way that they are or, um, you know, them being better or healthier or anything like that. And I really liked that. It's this, it's more of a theme about accepting, accepting people the way that they are and, but also loving each other and helping each other to get through those tough things in life that are traumatic, um, to become better people, but not like different people, if you know what I mean. Um, so I, I just thought that was really cool. So like I said earlier, this is such a hard show to describe. So basically, Moon Young follows Kang Tae to his new hospital playlist. And Kang Tae always leaves every year because his older brother, Sang Tae, has these mad, scary dreams about butterflies murdering him or potentially murdering his mother um, and basically has meltdowns and they have to go and start fresh. So they're living their whole lives on the run, basically. Um, so Kang Tae goes back to his hometown um, where, you know, he went to school and lived with his mom all those years ago. And he starts work at OK Psychiatric Hospital. And So Yeah basic. oh, sorry, <laughs> Go Moon Young basically just follows him and is like, I want you. I want to own you. I want to be with you. I want to sleep with you. I want to love you. <laughs> like just constantly on him. And he's just like, whoa, please go away. But also he's kind of meaner about it. He's pretty mean sometimes. <laughs> um, but he's also, he's an interesting character. There was times in the show I wasn't sure that I understood him, but I think after watching the whole thing, I feel really satisfied with Kang Tae's whole arc, which hopefully I'll talk about in a second. Um, so yeah, Moon Young just kind of like, I guess manipulates, realistically, manipulates Kang Tae into having to live with her and spend time with her. She uses, you know, his brother, Sang Tae, to kind of get Kang Tae to live in her house. Um, but obviously, over time, Kang Tae begins to realize that there is more to Moon Young than he initially thought, that she's not emotionless and cold you know, without reason, there's something going on there and that she's had this unbelievably awful past, which he has too. And I guess, um, you know, the drama is really a romance drama and it's about them both healing and becoming better people through loving each other, essentially. And so much happens, but it's all so, I think it's so maybe more along the lines of character study moments, character development and growth and reveals and revelations and these recurring fairy tale themes that are caught up in the way people are and the way that people relate to each other um, that really drives the plot forward. But in terms of plot, you know, there's only one real over kind of, you know, the whole show arc which is kind of about um, Moon Young's mother and, you know, is she dead? Is she not dead? What happened to her? Where is she? Um, and, you know, a little bit of a kind of blowout with that at the end. But realistically, the show isn't about that. It's just about the people. And it's this beautiful, dreamy, healing drama <laughs> just about people coming together. Like, I think the show is very much about found family. And I think... Um, it's very, very beautiful. <laughs> All right, I'm going to stop talking about the plot because I think it's it's really, it's a difficult one to put your finger on. You know, it's not a fast paced kind of driving plot. It's this slow languid character study of people as they change and become different after impacting each other. It's very, very, very beautiful. And I think very moving. Okay, so here's my list of all the stuff that I really, really loved about this drama. Um, I said this before, but the overall feel, it feels like a storybook. It's so dreamy. I loved the way it weaves in and out with this animation um, and with Moon Young's actual storybooks getting told with animation in the story. And they always relate so heavily to the people that populate this show and also, you know, the arcs and journeys that these characters are going on. So everything feels so interwoven. Another thing that I really loved also, you know, other than just the way it looks, it's a beautifully shot drama is the way it was edited. And I don't, you know, I am someone who loves dramas, but I'm not very educated about 
making shows or, you know, how that side of the business, I suppose, works in terms of cinematography and editing and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I feel like I can notice when it's done very well and particularly towards the beginning, a few episodes of this show, but also a little bit at the end as well. The way that this drama is edited, as in the way that the scenes cut from scene to scene was just like nothing I feel like I've seen before. It was like watching, I don't, it was so dreamy. And I think it added to this very fairy tale storybook feel that everything in the show is realistic. It could happen in reality or, you know, the reality of the show. It's It doesn't have fantasy elements, but just from the way that the story is presented through this dreamy, strange edits between scenes um, really makes you feel like you are inside a fairy tale. And I thought that was very, very, very clever. Um, a really fantastic example would be, I think it's um, within the first couple of episodes, there is a cameo by an actor who I'm just trying to find his face <laughs> on my list. Oh, so many people in this drama. Where is he? Um, his name's Quack something. Oh, bloody hell. Uh, I can't find him. Sorry, guys. I think you guys all know who I mean. He was in like um, the first couple of episodes and he makes a... Oh, here it is. <laughs> Sorry. Kwak Dong-yeon. Uh, so Kwak Dong-yeon is, you know, he's a fairly big actor. He's been in a lot of stuff, either second male lead usually. Um, he was in... Yeah, anyway. Um, so he makes an appearance in episode three and four. And he has this, so he plays a patient at It's Okay Psychiatric Hospital. And he has this dream, like, I guess he's telling, um, I think it's Gung Tae, how he ended up in the hospital, like what happened. And he's been in and out of these hospitals. And he has this kind of, I guess, a disorder where he's very, I guess, very manic. I think he has manic highs and lows potentially. And when he has a manic high, he... Um, can't really control himself. He rips off all his clothes. He potentially pees in public and is just, I guess, very wants attention. He wants people to look at him. Um, and I think one, the show did really well, I think with him in that, yes, he's there for laughs and he is played for laughs, but I don't think he's ever poked fun at. I don't think it's a derogatory thing. I don't think they're saying, look how idiotic this man is at all. I think the show is treats him with a lot of love and care and respect, which I think was really interesting without shying away from the reality of this man likes to get naked and show himself off in front of people. So it's such an interesting kind of flip, I suppose, between these two things. Um, but I really loved the way the show edits this sequence where, you know, um, Kwak Dong-yeon's character is lying in this bed and he's explaining like, oh, you know, I was just really excited. So I went to this bar. So he stands up off the bed, throws the hospital, you know, room doors open. And suddenly he's walking through the bar as he explains his story. And, you know, he, there's all this, you know, I don't know, some shit falling from the ceiling. What was it like bubbles or streamers or some shit? I don't even remember. Um, but like, it's just so immersive and he walks through the scene and he buys everyone drinks, but he's acting out what he did on the night at the same time as explaining to Gang Tae what happened. And then he, you know, bursts out the doors of, um, the pubby bar place and suddenly he's in the middle of this street and he's running down the street and he gets hot and he starts stripping and there's a car accident and everything's like so dreamy and smoky and like you know very lush in the colors it's really such a cool scene and then you know he's back in the hospital and then it's a little epilogue at the end of that whole episode we see that exact same scene again, but now instead of from Kwak Dong-yeon's perspective as he tells his story, we see it from Gung Tae's perspective, which is basically Kwak Dong-yeon just walking around the hospital and telling his story. And I loved it. I loved the way the drama just has these little strange, I don't know, edits or scene slips or just moments that really create this dreamy. I just keep saying the word dreamy, but it just seems to me like the best word for the atmosphere of this show, this gothic, dark, slick dreaminess. Um, it's very, very well done. And of course, the whole show begins with this amazing animation sequence, which 
reads like this, again, a gothic fairy tale storybook, but of course actually tells the history between our two main characters of Kangde and Munyong and talks about how they met as children. And, um, you know, she, in, in the animation, she fishes him out of the river and like stomps on his chest and brings him back to life very impassively. And he follows her around in love with her until she rips all these butterflies apart. And he realizes like in his mind, oh, there's something scary about her. And he runs off. Um, and then they meet all these years later and they do recognize each other, but it takes a long time for that information to sort of get out. Um, so I thought that was all just really seamless, the way that those things all came together. So to create that overall atmosphere. Um, so the next thing on my list, I've written the care. So the themes and you know, the mental health themes and I guess the way that the characters who have mental health issues are treated in the show. So I did already talk about how I felt about that. Um, but I did just want to mention again, like, so that's, uh, you know, the cameo that I talked about, but also, you know, there's this little side love story where these characters are just so sweet and lovely and you like them and they're falling in love They're you know, two patients at the hospital, but you begin to realize that she has these very deep seated issues that her husband has been very, very abusive and she's very submissive and you realize he has alcohol problems and it never defines who their characters are. But it is part of them. And I like the way the show was able to create these sweet, wonderful people without shying away from the problems that they're having and the experiences that they're facing. I thought it was really good. Um, another one I really loved was the older gent who's a patient who has PTSD and he's fought in the Vietnam War. He's killed people and he's completely incapable of living well with the guilt of it and it's so sad and moving and it's just this reminder you know in, in the drama we see him have a meltdown on this bus and um Sangte, you know saves him by putting a jacket over his head and hugging him and just making sure this old man knows he's safe but i think it's such a reminder that you know, sometimes people act in certain ways or do certain things like even you know maybe get annoyed at you or, you know, are rude or something. And it's just this reminder that you never know what people are dealing with in their own lives or what they've had to experience or face that might not be something that you can fully understand. And I think, you know, it's just that reminder to treat people around you and people that you meet and just general people on the street with as much care as you can, because you just don't know what people's inner worlds are like. Um, you know, maybe sometimes they are just a rude, horrible person, but maybe sometimes something's happened. Maybe they've had something, you know, going on with them. You just don't know. Um, and I think this show was very sensitive about that kind of thing, about treating people well and treating people with respect and care no matter no matter what, you know, no matter what they're up to and what they're doing and where they are and if they're a patient or a nurse, like, it, I think it's such a nice kind of theme and moral, I suppose, of this story, just about thinking about other people and treating them well. I thought it was lovely. Um, so the next thing on my list was the fairy tale themes, which I've already talked about. And, um, also Munyong's actual storybooks, particularly, um, the first one, or actually, the other ones as well, but one of the ones was, you know, the boy who fed on nightmares, which is just this incredible theme of this idea of a boy who has this trauma that he cannot, you know, get over. And every night he goes to sleep, he has these terrible nightmares. And finally a witch comes and takes those nightmares away. But the boy is unable to be happy because he's lost a part of himself. And it's this idea that you have to face the bad things in your world. You have to lean into them and live with them because that's the only way that you will ever be able to overcome them and exist and find happiness. And I was just like, wow, like that is such a in just such a beautiful message, I think, for this little this little book in this drama, you know, it was so moving. And then there was this mad, creepy story. Like some of her books were just incredible, but so creepy. I loved them. Um, you know, the one about this little girl who, whose mother just loves her, but loves her so much that she does everything for this child until this child is 
incapable of doing anything for themselves. You know, the, the morals in these stories were so deep, <laughs> so layered and complex. And yet on the page, they're just so, they seem so simple. Um, I'd actually love to get a hold of them all and like read them properly. They were, they were just like, whoa, very, very cool. Um, another thing I really, really loved, which I kind of, you know, I touched on this already, but this idea of Moon particularly being literally haunted in her mansion. Like it seems like that at times we see this terrifying visage of this, you know, woman whose face you never see floating above her in the bed. But of course, it's a representation of sleep paralysis. <laughs> I can't fucking say that word. Sorry. You guys know what I'm trying to say, hopefully. Um yeah, it's it's, it's a, a representation of her trauma coming back to bite her because she has never faced it. She's never lent into it, even though I think she feels like she has. She's written this storybook because she thinks she's living with her past and her awful experiences, but she's not because she's turned her emotions off other than I want this, I want that, I'm going to have it. She doesn't feel she thinks she does like she tells Kante that she loves him but she doesn't know what that means at that point in the story I think um again such an interesting place to begin a romance um so another thing I really really loved in this show was the whole storyline with Moon Young's dad I was slightly fascinated with it because it didn't end the way that I expected it to and the way that I expected it to end was a way that I didn't was something I didn't like that I thought the show was going to do and I didn't like it and I was kind of so surprised when they didn't do it and so moved I suppose so I think Moon Young's dad is this old guy who is, you know, he's got dementia. He's very far along. He's close to death. He has, you know, all sorts of health issues. He can't really speak, but he does get quite agitated and says some words sometimes and, you know, tries to choke his daughter sometimes. <laughs> so charming old man. <laughs> so Moon Young uses him because he's a patient at, you know, OK Psychiatric Hospital, uses her dad as absolutely an excuse to just turn up at this hospital every single day and hit on Kante and follow him around and just hit on him nonstop. That is absolutely her goal in life at this point. Um, but obviously she's there on the pretense of something to do with her dad. So all the nurses and hospital staff are like, you should go hang out with your dad. You should take your dad for a walk. You should spend some time with your dad. Maybe you should forgive your dad. And Moon Young's always like, I have no father. He's dead to me. I hate this man. And we slowly realize that, you know, when he tries to choke her out, out like in this car parking, car park lot place, garden I don't know wherever we realize this is not the first time this has happened he's done this you know before when she was young like she has a very very traumatic history with this man and yet all these people just keep pushing her to forgive forgive him forgive him eventually we learn like the whole truth that her father has you know for whatever reasons that potentially I can sort of understand some of them but also he did a, a very very terrible thing um murders her mother and her mother like falls on the floor all broken and bloody in front of Moon like she it's really intense and I just thought it was really interesting the way all these people who don't know Moon they don't know Moon history they don't know how she grew up they don't know how her dad treated her constantly getting involved in her business and saying that she should talk to her dad she should forgive her dad she should see her dad and it's this kind of thing that I think is so entrenched in so much culture around the world of having to respect your elders like having to love your biological parents no matter what and it's not something that I really agree with at all I guess and I know this is going to be such a personal thing and I think everyone's really different but I think that everyone in your life should earn your respect. I don't think you should automatically have to respect someone who doesn't treat you well. And I think just because Moon Young's parents brought her into the world doesn't mean that she should have to forgive and respect them and love them when they didn't treat her well. They were horrible to her. They were cruel. They basically fucked up her entire life until she met Kung Tae and was able to learn how to heal um, and be open to other people. And I, 
was positive that the ending storyline for Moon and her dad was going to be that now she knew he was dying, like properly dying, going to die in the next few days, that she would go and see him and she would like forgive him or something, which is what everyone keeps pushing her to do. And Moon doesn't. She doesn't even go to see him. She just sticks by her thing of like, no, I'm not going to regret going to see him. And yes, he is dead. He already died. To her, he's gone. But it has this other flip side to it where as he's dying, she admits that she has this one good memory with him. And that's why she can never really truly stop being hurt by what happened. Because he wasn't only, only nasty in a way that she can close her heart off to him and forget him and wipe him from her mind. He read her a storybook and he was kind to her as well. This one time that she remembers, it's so sad. Like her having this one good memory was so, so sad to me, but so beautiful. And I loved the way the show brought that up. I thought it was just really cool. And I really, really liked the fact that Moon Young stuck to her her own needs and didn't forgive her dad. She was right. He didn't, if she didn't feel like she wanted to, why should she have to? And I really, really liked that the show allowed her to do what was right for her and not potentially what society deems acceptable or what you should do. I liked that the show allowed her to make that choice for herself and it was the emotionally right choice for her. It stopped her from getting, she didn't need to like open that wound and rip up that scab. Like that stuff was done for her. She didn't want to do it again and she should never have to. I just think it's such a strange idea. Um, You know, people, I I just, I think that if you should love people because they're deserving of your love, not for any other reason ever. Um, And definitely not for, you know, biological reasons, Um, which I think the show kind of touches on quite a bit. And it was very interesting for me. Um, And in saying that, I'll just let you guys all know that I'm not um, getting all worked up about this because of um, some terrible thing with my own dad. My dad's like super nice, (laughs) but that's what I mean. You know, my dad is nice to me and he respects me and therefore I'm nice to him and respect him and love him because he's deserving of that because he's a good person and not just because, you know, he's biologically related to me by blood. (laughs) Anyway, There you go. That's just my opinion, obviously. It's always personal, isn't it? Um, So the next thing on my list that I really loved was Kang Tae and Kang Tae's arc. I found him so interesting. And I, I guess when the drama started, at first I was like, who is this mopey, mopey man who just mopes around being mopey all the time? And I was like, does he really have a reason? You know, he's living... The way that Kang Tae lives his life is like he is dead. <laughs> and, you know, he's so depressed. He's like unbelievably depressed. Um, and I guess at first I was like, is he just so depressed because he's Sang Tae's carer? Is it that he just doesn't want to do that? He feels suffocated by that. And I was like, is that a really a good message? But then the more I thought about it, I was kind of like, I mean, it's not only that. Kang Tae has these things in his past and particularly some self-loathing around some of those things and decisions and things he said in the past that have just ruined his life, basically. But, you know, I think there is truth in that, in being, say, a child and being told that you're someone's carer, and then 20 years later, you still have this responsibility. And I don't think it's so much that Kang Tae resents his brother because Kang Tae has to look after his brother. I think that Kang Tae resents having to always, since he was a child, be an adult and be responsible and do the right thing and never, ever live for himself. And so when I thought about it, I was like, that's actually, it feels very true, you know? And I like the fact that one of Kang Tae's biggest problems is this self, self-loathing that he has towards himself because of the way that he feels. It's like this purely destructive thing that continues to make it worse and worse for him. So the more suffocated he feels by his life, by having to always take responsibility and always be the person who looks after others and never gets cared for himself, the more he hates himself for having those thoughts. And it's just this like destructive cycle. Um, 
So at first I was like, you know, why are you so sad? Like, you, it's not like you, your brother is at home and is unable to, you know, go to the bathroom or go out and learn things or have a job or do things or speak, you know, like his brother is very independent. Um, so I was very like, you know, oh, it's just so mopey, Kante. And then the more I thought about it, the more I liked it. It's such a human emotion to almost self-sabotage your happiness because of these past emotional things of how he's felt and the things he said that have just tripped him up for his whole life. And so, of course, I'm talking about really interesting stuff with Kante's past in that he resented having to care for his brother. He resented his mother for telling him that Kante was born to care for his brother. He didn't feel enough love he felt like Sante got all the love. And these are such, you know, like they might not be morally good things <laughs> that he was feeling, but they're all very true things. They're very human things. And I kind of like that these were the character traits that Kante was given by the writers of this show because they're not always very likable. You know, it's a little bit of a sad sack thing in some ways. Like, you know, you can watch a show where someone you know, I guess it's this whole candy type of thing where someone has to be the breadwinner of their family and has to have five jobs and take care of everyone and their invalid parents and goes around with a cheery smile anyway. And I think we're very used to that. We're used to this just like buck up and get on with it and be happy and be positive and do your best kind of attitude. And so at first I think I was a little bit thrown by Kante because he's not. He's fucking depressed with his life. He's so unhappy and he's so disconnected and isolated emotionally from the world around him. And, you know, at first I was like, dude, just put on a smile, buck up, you know, <laughs> it's not that bad. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, it's so human to feel that way. It's so human to destroy yourself instead of making your life better, you know, instead of realizing the good things that you have and creating a better future for yourself, which is, of course, Kante's entire arc was about facing, facing his own feelings and his own actions in the past and accepting that they were the way that he felt and the things that he did that was true. But it doesn't mean that it needs to define his entire life. He's able to be happy. There's nothing wrong with that. And of course, he does create his own happiness. So in the end, I actually thought it was such a fascinating and cool character arc that he had. And I really like that the writers gave him some, you know, less positive attributes. This kind of, I mean, I don't want to say self-pity. That's not exactly what he's going on, like that he has going on. But there is this kind of element to him where he does lean into the misery. And, you know, I guess in K-dramas, we're taught quite often that characters are good when they don't do that, when they just endure with a smile. And I liked that he didn't. I thought it was interesting. Um, I also was fascinated by all the reveals in Kung Tae's past and his past relationship with his brother. I just thought it was dark, but just again, felt so real. Um, so what I'm talking about, of course, is Kang Tae when he was a kid, you know, he comes home and he wants to show his mom that he got like, you know, won a competition in Taekwondo or whatever. And his mother is furious because Kang Tae left his brother alone to go and do this. And Sang Tae has been bashed up by some idiot bullies. So fair enough, you know, the mother's just having this outpouring of emotion because her son is hurt. But Kang Tae obviously completely interprets it as he doesn't matter. His achievements don't matter. Nothing about him matters. He was born to be a carer and take responsibility. And that is it. And he screams out that he wishes that Sang Tae would just basically go and die, <laughs> which, you know, it's such a kid thing to do. Like, and it's not a big deal. I mean, it was just it was just a moment. He didn't even really mean it. Or even if he did mean it. It doesn't really matter. He was just a kid and he was hurt and he was hurting. But of course, this one thing that he said in front of his brother, which his brother remembers forever, um, not that he makes a big deal out of it. Sang Tae's pretty cool. <laughs> but, um, you know, this one thing that Kang Tae said haunts him forever. Like it's literally a ghost 
on his back for the entirety of his life afterwards. And, you know, it's why I think he does lean into the misery because he doesn't think he deserves happiness because of this thing that he said and because of what he does afterwards, which is, you know, he runs off to Sangte down to this frozen river. So beautiful, like just looks so beautiful. And they immediately make up. You know, they are immediately brothers again. And I loved that about it as well. You know, how fleeting these moments of hate are is so true to life at that age as a child. Um, and so Sangte, you know, they're just mucking around. They're having a great time. Sangte jumps too, you know, too far out on the thin ice and he goes through. And there's this moment where Kangte just stares at his brother, like basically drowning in the cold water. <laughs> and he kind of starts walking away to leave him there. And I was like, whoa, that is dark. But I kind of get it. You know, I mean, I, I mean, I understand it as a character. I think it is so interesting that the show allowed Kang Tae's character to go to such a dark place. But there's this innocence to it as well. You know, it's very, very scary for Kang Tae at that point. You know, his brother, he doesn't know if he can get his brother out and survive it himself. Like getting his brother out is basically potentially sacrificing his own life, which is what he's constantly told, I suppose, or he thinks he's being told is what he should do. And he has this moment of selfishness that he doesn't want to go over there and do that. And also this moment of complete and utter selfishness where he imagines, I'm sure, a world without his brother where he is the center of attention, where he gets all the love. And it's only a moment. He only has this thought for a moment. And then he, you know, immediately runs back jumps right in the water, hauls his brother out. And of course, Sangte is freaking out. And so literally runs off and leaves Kangte to drown. And again, you know, that's so hurtful to Kangte. He's, he's actually made the right choice. He's potentially sacrificed himself for his brother. And he feels like his brother doesn't even care. You know, it's so complex and dark. Um, but of course, Moon Young as a young girl is nearby and she goes and saves Sung Tae, which is, you know, the real truth behind that animated scene that we see at the start of the drama, which I loved. I loved that peeling back of layers to see how they were truly connected. It was very cool. But of course, that decision, that one moment of selfishness that Kang Tae had just haunts him for the rest of his life and basically fucks him up good. <laughs> um, I loved him. I thought he was so complex. It was very, very cool. Um, so the next person on my list was Sang Tae. I think I actually talked about, you know, the stuff that I love. You know, I like how likable and sweet he was. But again, like I said at the beginning, I just like the way they didn't, didn't, you know, turn away from the reality of the situation too, which is that Kang Tae does, you know, Sang Tae does need care. He does need to be looked after in certain aspects of his life. Um, and that is a big responsibility for someone else. Um, I really loved the whole older brother, the kind of themes played around Sang Tae being older. I thought it was so clever that the drama made Sang Tae an older brother instead of a younger, because it immediately just mucks around with the traditional roles, these, you know, sibling roles. And also when Sang Tae towards halfway through the drama and towards the end really begins to, you know, he constantly talks about being an adult and talks about being the older brother and talks about having responsibility. But about halfway through the drama, he begins to attempt to act on those things. And for me, those were some of the most moving scenes in the whole drama where he turns around and begins to show care for Kang Tae in his own small ways. You know, at every single time, Kang Tae would just burst into tears. And I would too. It was so moving, you know, like, um, giving his younger brother, um, you know, an allowance and taking him out for a meal. And then one of my most favorite things was when Sung Tae accepts Moon Yong into their family unit. It is unbelievably moving. You know, Sung Tae's like, instead of, you know, at first it's this real push and pull, you know, Sung Tae doesn't want to let go of Kang Tae. He doesn't want to give Kang Tae up to Moon Yong. But in the end, he realizes that you know, Kang Tae will always be Kang Tae and Moon Yong is just someone new. It's a best friend. And it's this beautiful found family themes, which I just adored. And again, I loved it so much because it was kind of opposed to the idea of, you know, blood relations that can be so destructive in, you know, as opposed to choosing the people who you love and want to spend your life with and share your time with who who actually give you back the love that you deserve. I just thought it was so beautiful. 
really, really nice. <laughs> uh, so the next thing on my list was Moon Young. Did I already talk about Moon Young? I'm, I'm sure I have. Um, I loved her. I loved Soya Ji. I just thought, I thought the whole character was fascinating and cool and she was very cool. She looked amazing, but she just had so many complex layers and I loved the way she slow, she changes so slowly throughout this drama that I almost didn't notice the shift until I think the point um, where after the awful thing happens with her mother and you know she starts trying to reject Kante for his own good and starts returning to her sort of emotionless um, kind of state where she doesn't care about these things and it kind of reminded me more of how she was so careless at the start of the drama like she's she's changed so much throughout the length of the show and I thought it was such a natural progression without ever losing those elements of her personality that you know make her who she is and I love that the show wasn't like through romance and love Moon will heal and become different to how she is. She's still the same. She still lashes out. She still, you know, wants what she wants. She's still selfish. She's still the same way, but she also has learned to care for other people and allow them to care for her. And that has fundamentally changed who she is while retaining her personality as well. It's, I thought it was a really, really cool balance. It was very well done. Uh, so the next thing on my list is a long list, you guys. I'm sorry. Um, but also I'm excited because this show is so good. <laughs> uh, was the side characters. I'm not going to talk about them at all, but I really liked all of them. I think I really loved the way the second female lead and the second male lead, I think, kind of just sort of flipped my expectations, particularly second female lead. I thought she was going to be mean and she wasn't. She was lovely and she had her own things going on and she was very sweet the entire show. And in the points where she did, she didn't ever do anything mean, but she does show jealousy at the beginning because obviously she's madly in love with Kang Tae. And of course she is. His eyes are so pretty. <laughs> How could she not be? But, you know, she will she'll say something out of jealousy, you know, kind of lash out a little bit. And then you'll see her walking off and she'll be like, oh, like, Namjuri, like, why did you do that? Like, why are you succumbing to that? And I loved how human that was as well. You know, we all do bad shit and then regret it afterwards. And I loved that that's what she did. And she didn't just go full evil or anything like that. The show was so much more nuanced than anyone going full evil, even Moon Young's crazy mother you know she was somebody who was very multi-layered and complex and terrifying and someone who did not understand I guess people around her at all but she didn't feel just like I don't know like bitchy evil or anything she felt like a force to be reckoned with and very interesting which leads me to my next point that I liked which was the twist um I don't know if I'm just an idiot but I didn't see that coming and I quite liked it because I think this actress um who plays the mother I really really like her um Jung her name is Jung Young Nam Jung Young Nam uh so I've seen her in heaps of dramas I always really really like her and I felt like she was just like madly underutilized in this show but then sometimes I thought she had weird reactions to things where she would smile at things just a little bit too long and I was like the fuck like she's a good actress why is she doing that and then of course it all made sense at the end when she turned out to be you know the mother and putting on a mad act the one thing that I thought was fucking hilarious about all this is like how many years has she worked there as head nurse like she's literally like I mean, presumably she's gone and done some nurse training. Otherwise, she couldn't get this position. <laughs> and she's there, like, actually properly caring and nursing people. And, you know, this is <laughs> – she would have had to do a lot of work is what I'm saying. I'm just saying this is a long-term plan that this woman has, and it involves her doing a lot of menial work <laughs> at a hospital. So, I mean, if I was personally, you know, a mad uh, trying to get revenge or do whatever – I don't know. I think I would have found a less like a less sort of task intensive way to do it, like a way where I didn't have to, you know, potentially scrub floors and clean bedpans and stuff. I, I don't know. I just would have gone in a different direction. But that's just me. <laughs> um, so 
I liked the twist. I was happy with, you know, all that kind of stuff, the mum coming back. And I was really happy with the way the trio comes together to overcome her. I thought that was very cool. And I liked the way she just gets carted off to a hospital or, you know, prison. And then I liked that that was the end of it. And that there was a whole episode after that to just deal with everyone being happy. Um, and although I'm not at all a fan of The Noble Sacrifice, where one of the characters in the romance is like, you must leave me for your own good and I'm going to make that decision for you instead of, you know, with you. And, you know, I, I hate that shit. I think that's stupid. But I felt like I really understood it in this show. At first, when Moon Young first like starts shutting down and being like, Kang Tae, leave my fucking house, leave me alone. I was like, no, Moon Young, don't do it. You need him. He needs you. Like, well, how can you make that decision? But then when I actually kind of watched some of the scenes with Kang Tae afterwards, where he's like admitting this is a big deal and he doesn't know if he's okay with it. And he has this unbelievably cool moment which just amazed me where he admits to his doctor pal dude friend that he isn't okay with it but he told her he was anyway so Moon Young sees through him luckily but this is the whole thing with Kang Tae is that he internalizes everything and he tells everyone a different thing to how he's feeling and Moon Young luckily recognized this moment when he says this and, you know, realizes straight away that this is him reverting to how he used to be. And now instead of just faking being happy in front of Sung Tae, he's going to be faking being happy in front of her too, which means she becomes a burden instead of a partner, which means she becomes another responsibility instead of someone that he can lean on. It was such a big moment for me that made that whole push and pull where she's trying to get rid of him so necessary to their love story in a way that I hadn't expected. It felt like such a cathartic ending to their trauma. This moment where Kang Tae finally kind of realizes that, yes, he's not okay with it. Yes, this is a terrible thing that's happened. And yes, it's going to take a long time for him to be okay with it. But he can work through those things next to her and be open to Moon about those feelings instead of walking away and being miserable or being with her and pretending that everything's okay. And basically what he learns is that it is okay to lean on other people when you are having troubles in your life. Like it is okay to ask for help. And it just felt like such a big moment. You know, it felt like him letting go of this terrible not the past, but just what the past has created him to be. It's like him finally unraveling this fake Mr. Responsible mask, you know, mask, obviously it comes back to Moon Young's story about the boy in the mask, um, which is her final one. And the mask falls off, obviously. And, you know, he learns to live as himself, um, which is another reason why I really, really loved the ending of this show. We get these happy scenes, but even when they're kind of still, you know, working their shit out, um, where Kante starts yelling a little bit. And normally I'm like, I don't like it when a guy yells at a lady, <laughs> like real like intense. And in this, I was like, yeah, I do really, really like it because it's him expressing himself. It's him showing his feelings and being himself for the first time in his fucking life. It was so good. I found it just really relieving. Um, so I really, really loved that. I thought it was excellent. Um, so the ending for me was just so satisfying and so charming and so happy. And I loved that, you know, we see them go off on their little road trip. I love that it wasn't perfect at the start and he got drunk and was idiotic and sick. But then they have this like mad montage, which we see with them just like, you know, camping around the place and spending all this time together. And I thought, I, I just loved the way it was shot and filmed. It was beautiful. I enjoyed it so much. And then of course, the very final scene is we see Sung Tae make a decision for himself in what he wants out of his life. And Kang Tae, for the first time ever, instead of sacrificing his own happiness to go along with his brother's happiness, holds on to what it is that he wants to do. And the two brothers separate. But you know they're not going to separate for long. Like, they're going to live together again in the future. They're going to be connected forever. But it's still this huge moment where you realize that 
neither of them need to sacrifice anything for the other. They can just love each other. They don't have to have this kind of twisted relationship that has formed because of Kang Tae's immense guilt at what he's done as a child. And it was so charming to see those things be let go and to see all of the characters embrace happiness. I mean, it is such a happy ending and somehow it just worked so well for me. I thought it was beautiful. So I think that's everything for me. That's everything I'm going to say about the K-drama. It's okay to not be okay. The 16 episode romance, gothic, fairy tale drama, whatever, from 2020. What a good show. Um, I presume everyone listening to this has already seen it, but if you haven't, you should definitely give it a go. I thought it was really, really good. So that's It's Okay to Not Be Okay. All right, so now it is time for my random thing of the week. Um, I'm just going to keep this really brief. I just started reading a book, um, so I'm just going to mention it. I haven't really got far enough into it to know if it's great or not, but I've been told it's really good. And so far, I'm super, super enjoying it. I find it very interesting. So this is a young adult fiction book called Razorhurst. So the book is by an author called Justine Labalestia. <laughs> La Balestia, right, Razorhurst. So the book is set in Sydney, Australia in 1932, and it's basically about this young girl who can see ghosts, who gets caught up between two sort of competing mob gang bosses in the 30s in this like really hell dodgy area of the Sydney slums um, back in the day. And it's called Razorhurst, I think, because so at that time, guns were illegal. And if the coppers found you holding a gun like a gang member, you could immediately get taken to jail just for possessing that weapon. Um, so obviously, all the gang members started carrying around razors instead, because then they could just be like, if they were caught on the street, they'd be like, oh, well, I was just using it to shave my beard. Um, so it's a pretty dark book. It's very bloody. It opens with a mad murder and like ghosts and stuff, but it's pretty interesting so far. And I'm just very interested in historical fiction. You know, I don't really know that much about a lot of Australian history at all, which is crazy. Um, I know a lot about Korean Joseon dynasty history. <laughs> um, so I'm really enjoying just kind of getting a little bit of a feel for the 1930s in Sydney, Australia at that time. Very interesting. So I think if that sounds like an interesting book for you, you could probably check it out. Um, even though it's by an Australian author, she lives in America. And I know the book is published in America and potentially in other international countries as well. I'm not really sure, but I think it's quite a popular big book. So that was Razorhurst by Justine Lavalastier. <laughs> it's hard to pronounce. So now I have my something I'm loving section this week, and this is a little bit of a cop out, but also not really. But the thing that I'm really, really loving this week is K-dramas. And I realize that that seems like a given, like an obvious that that is what I would be loving every week. But um, over the past week, I was actually like, it wasn't bad or anything, but I think I got a bit burnt out and a little bit unwell. And I like just lay around in bed for a few days. And I think that potentially I worked a bit too hard and kind of overexhausted myself and just needed to have have a rest because uh, I'm totally fine now, which is great. But just lying around for three days and doing nothing but watching K-dramas was just amazing. It felt so good. It was just the best rest ever. <laughs> I wish I could do that for three days every single week, just like just watch shows and that was it. But I have to say, if you're feeling unwell, um, there is nothing like better for you <laughs> than lying around watching K-dramas. Um, I feel like it cured me. So that was great. Um, you know, obviously I was watching It's Okay Not To Be Okay and a few other really cool dramas. I just delved in deep and marathoned them for days. It was wonderful. 